Um, hey guys, uh, welcome to Rev. My name is Dustin. Uh, it's nice to see everybody tonight. Some new faces, some old faces. Um, sorry, anyway. Um, I have a few quick announcements and then we'll pray and uh, greet each other. So first off, if you didn't lock the doors of your car or you left anything valuable within kind of like plain sight, um, during the music break, just go out uh, and fix that. Um, so... Um, also, Allie and AJ, are they here? Uh, no, good talk, guys. Um, so they are having an Advent Conspiracy small group uh, starting tomorrow night at 5.30 at their house, which is on 8th Street. I don't know the actual address. I'm sorry. Find me or Steve or Dave. We can give you guys directions. Um, and then also, uh, if you're interested in joining a small group, um, just keep your ears open. January, um, we're going to be starting some new groups. So if you're interested, find me, Dave, Steve, um, Kelly, anybody you see up on stage. So I will pray and we'll get started. So, um, Father, I thank you for this group of people that you've brought in my life, God. Um, I ask that you are with the congregation tonight as Dave brings the message. Um, help us to listen with open ears and open hearts uh, to hear what you want us to hear and to learn what you want us to learn. Um, ask that you're with us as we worship together and be with us through the rest of our week. In Christ's name, amen. So get up and say hey to somebody. <laughs> What's up, Revolution? Do it again. That was weak. What's up, Revolution? All right. I saw some people I haven't seen in a minute. The man in the Buckeye shirt back there. I used to lift weights with him when I lifted weights for three months. Um, <laughs> And then, that sucked. I don't know how you do it. Like, you look awesome, but like, mm. <laughs> that's, that's all for the best, I assure you. Uh, I don't know how Autumn puts up with it. God bless her. Uh, yeah, I see a lot of people that I haven't seen in a minute, and yeah, this is a good time. Justin, one of our old elders, is here, has the better beard than me now. Uh, legit. So, uh, did everyone have a good Thanksgiving? Right on. Everyone ate too much, I'm sure. I will remind you, gluttony is a sin. Um, but... <laughs> All right, so more importantly than that, uh, more importantly than whether or not you had a good Thanksgiving, did you all remember that you were Christians on Black Friday? Some of you didn't. I've seen videos on Facebook. Like, I'll say this about, I'll say this about Black Friday, like, like the doctrine of like total depravity, like this belief that like the, 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 or this thing the Bible teaches about like the inherent wickedness of mankind comes out full force in the United States the day after Thanksgiving. Like it is ridiculous. Uh, Makes for great entertainment on YouTube, but nonetheless, it's still sin. Um, I actually, I don't do Black Friday, not, not for like holiness reasons, or like try to be like self-righteous or anything, but like I did Black Friday one time, I was a senior in high school, and one of my friends got arrested. Um, so like, never again, which that's, I can't tell you the whole story, because it's a microphone, we're in a church building, so like, we'll, if you want to know the full thing, we'll tell you later, there's some things you can't say into a mic, uh, but, uh, anyway... Uh, so that, that was fun. But uh, just FYI, um, after tonight, I'll be taking the next couple of weeks off uh, from preaching. Uh, I'll still be here to worship and play drums and hang out with you guys, but I'll be sitting out there. And uh, I'll be taking a couple of weeks off because we actually have a couple of dudes uh, here at Revolution that feel like they've been called to preach. Um, and me and the elders decided we're going to give them a crack at it. Um, 
and it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm pretty excited. These, these two dudes, uh, they're a couple of deacons that we have. Uh, they're, they're good students of the Bible. Um, they lead some small groups and stuff. Uh, you might know them. It's uh, Dustin Cooley, the gorgeous man who just finished doing announcements. Isn't he cute? And uh, an even cuter man downstairs named Kelly Craft. And if you don't know him, he is the five-foot Abercrombie and Fitch model that goes to Revolution Church. He is so much better looking than me. Um, oh, I'm so jealous of his girlfriend in a weird way. He's just fun to look at. Like, he's just a good-looking dude. Anyway, uh, now that I've almost crossed the line into being ridiculously inappropriate, uh, whatever, this is all on the podcast. Hello, everyone out there. Um, but anyway, enough of that. So I'm really excited to see what God does with these two dudes. Um, next week we have uh, Dustin kicking it off for the next couple of weeks, so I'm pretty excited. But tonight we're going to be pushing on through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, here lately we've been hitting a lot of Jesus' parables, some of them incredibly familiar, like the parable of the prodigal son, um, and then some of them not very popular, not taught on much, like we talked about the parable of the shrewd manager last week. Um, and tonight we're going to hit another one. It's a very short parable. It's like three verses long. Um, and it's one that isn't much taught on. I've, I've never really heard, I've heard the concept, but I've never heard this text actually preached through. Um, and it's one of those teachings from Jesus that makes you say, I, that's not the Jesus that like, I know. Like, what I mean is, like, that's not the Jesus, like, that's not, like, my preconceived notion of Jesus, right? Which is usually what happens whenever, I don't know, you read the Bible. Uh, you see that Jesus isn't usually the, the dude you thought he was. Um, like, our culture, I, I make fun of it every week. It says that Jesus was, like, a big hippie, like, probably from San Francisco wearing Birkenstocks. Like, once, like, real codependent wuss, like, South Park Jesus, like, the 90-pound, like, oh, I just want to give you a hug, man. Like, and his commands aren't really commands. They're more like suggestions, like, eh, do them if you want. Like, that's usually like what our culture says that Jesus is. But that's not the case, right? And we're going to see that really clear tonight. This is actually going to be one of the times that Jesus declares his authority over everything. Like, his absolute authority, including over, like, over everything, including us, right? He is master of all things. Um, the Bible actually says that Jesus is sovereign, um, Sovereign means that like, he runs everything, he answers to nobody, he does as he pleases at all times, and it's completely unquestionable. Um, sovereign, right, runs things, and what every rapper wants to be. I don't know where that came from, but like, I just started thinking of Lil Wayne. I was like, that dude thinks he's sovereign. He's not, not compared to the Lord. Um, so like, Jesus owns all things, right, including us. So actually, Jesus is going to say that we're slaves to him. Um, So we're slaves to Jesus. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually called himself a slave to Christ Jesus all the time. Like There's there's at least three letters that he wrote in the New Testament. That's how how he kicks it off. Paul, a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ. And we need reminded really, really frequently that this is what we are. That's who we are, servants of Jesus, slaves to Jesus. Um, But before we jump in uh, to the text, we we, we really need to remember this. Even though Jesus is, is, is declaring his authority over us, and even though we're told over and over again in the Bible, he's the master and we're his servants. You've got to know this. He's not a harsh master. I, 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 what I don't mean by that is that he doesn't ask anything of you. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus straight up says, if you don't love me more than you love your spouse, if you don't love me more than you love your family, if you don't love me more than you love your stuff, your life, whatever, then you can't follow me. Right? So Jesus is going to ask a lot of us at times. Um, so I don't mean that he's not harsh in the sense that he never requires anything from us, but he's not harsh in the sense that he's a cruel jerk, right? That's not Jesus. 
Um, Jesus has displayed his love for us on the cross and that he would put himself in our place as a substitute and, and absorb God's wrath for the things that we've done. Um, so everything that he says in the Bible, always keep this in mind. I have to remind myself of this a lot. Whenever you read Jesus saying something that appears harsh at first glance, you've got to temper it with the knowledge that he's not a cruel, harsh master, but that he loves you dearly. Right? And it's like a parent. Like my mom has said some harsh things to me because I'm an idiot. And, but like she does it because she loves me. Right? So Jesus does the same thing, like a parent. All right? But not only does Jesus declare that he's our master, right? he also says that by faith in him we're also his friends. Right? So it's this weird kind of thing where he's our master, but yet he also counts us as not equals, but as someone he loves dearly, like I said, a friend. Um, and no one else has loved us like him. So in light of that, he can really ask anything of us because no one has ever done so much for us. Um, and we also need to realize this, and I got a problem with this sometimes. Um, I'll read Jesus asserting his, like, dominion or authority over everything, and I'm like, that's kind of narcissistic, Lord. Like, that's, like, that sounds a little bit self, like, self-absorbed, right? Like, like, you're a little bit too into yourself. Uh, but, like, that's, that's, again, not the case. Like, whenever Jesus declares his own supremacy, it's just true. Like, it's just true. Like, he's God. Like, what's better or more authoritative or... or Worth more than God, right? It's just true. He's just telling us the facts, right? Now, anyone else who says the stuff Jesus says, like if I told you guys, like, I'm the master, you're all slaves, like the word sheeple comes to mind, because I think that's hilarious. Like, sheep people, that's funny, whatever. Uh, I think I'm hilarious, whether you don't. Um, but anyway, that would be really arrogant of me to say that I'm the master, you're the servants, but for him, being God, right, it's just true. Um, so we've got to keep that in mind. And as Christians, what it means to be a follower of Jesus means we submit to the truth. That's what it means. And Jesus is the truth. Um, so to put, put this passage into perspective, because we're kind of jumping in kind of in the middle of a teaching that Jesus has given us. Uh, I want to give you guys some context, a little bit of background to set the stage. Um, Jesus is, in this text we're getting ready to read, he's speaking to his disciples. Um, he's been doing like a series of teaching in, the, in like the like prior six verses, and, he, and he's telling them how believers are supposed to live in forgiveness of one another, um, how we're supposed to love one another, um, how we're supposed to lead others into truth and watch ourselves that we're not teaching people anything false. Um, he actually says it's better to tie a millstone, this huge grinding stone for wheat, it's better to tie a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the ocean than to teach someone something that's not true and lead them astray. Right, So that's one of the things that he's been saying. Um, and he's been saying like, like how disciples of him are supposed to live just trusting God, having faith. Um, and then he's going to get into what we're talking about tonight. But I'll, I'll say this. Jesus has this underlying theme. Like this, he has like a couple. But like there's one really big theme to Jesus' teaching. And it's this. Avoid religion. Which sounds really weird. Like very un-Jesus-y, if that's a word. Like he's telling us to avoid religion a lot. It's an underlying theme. What does that mean? Right? Avoid religion. What, what do I mean by that? Religion is this, in a nutshell. Do X, and God will do or give you Y in return. Right? Do this, God does this. Right? Now, I know some of us grew up in pretty legalistic churches, so you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Be good, and God will love you. Right? That's religion. Right? Do good, or be good, God will love you, or this, and this is... This is really common in churches. Do good. Not just be good, but do good. Help people. Read your Bible. Pray. Right? All like the checklist of Christian stuff that people just tend to do. Which I'm not saying it's bad. But like, do good, and God will give you something that you want. Ah, 
this is fun. All right, this is going to be a fun time for me, at least, whatever. Um, but that kind of religion, where you have to do this so that God responds with favor or grace, that you would have to do this so God responds with his favor, that kind of religion is completely incompatible with the gospel of Jesus. Completely incompatible, right? So consider the gospel. Here, here's what it is in a nutshell. God made everything, and it was perfect, without fault. He looks at it all, and he says, this is good. And then man screws everything up, right? God says, don't eat fruit. Like, how easy is this? Don't eat fruit from this tree, right? That's it. Like, sleep with your wife, populate the earth, right? You're running around naked, like, no problems. Like, there's no disease. Just chill out and enjoy yourself. Sounds pretty awesome to me. Don't eat this fruit. And what does man do? Gives God the finger and says, yeah, I'm going to eat that fruit, man. Like, that's, I really want it, and I want it more than I want you, so I'm just going to go ahead and go for it. Which is really what all sin is, is us giving God the finger, spitting in his face, and saying, I want to do what I want to do instead of you, or instead of what you tell me to do. Um, so man sins, and then sin enters into the world, and it wrecks everything, right? We become hard against God uh, by nature, right? Because now we have the sin nature that we're born into. We don't want anything to do with God by nature. We hate him, the Bible says. We're at, we're at enmity, with him, right? So we deserve hell because of that, right? Think about this. God is good. He does not deserve anyone to disobey him, disrespect him, um, metaphorically give him the finger or literally whatever. I used to be an atheist, so that was a big thing for me. It was like just blaspheming, like just go through the book like Leviticus and just slam everything that I could. Um, God doesn't deserve anything like that. He doesn't deserve us to disobey him at all because he is the source from which everything good comes from. So to disobey or do something against him is the worst thing you could possibly think of because he's the ultimate good. That deserves the worst punishment, right? Because he says he's a just judge. Punishment must fit the crime. You do the worst thing imaginable, you get the worst punishment. That's hell. Right, but here's the gospel. This, that's what we deserve. The gospel means good news. The good news is that not wanting to give us what we deserve, but wanting to give us what we don't deserve. God sends Jesus to the earth. And Jesus lives a sinless life, never disobeying, never doing anything wrong ever. Complete obedience to God. And then says, I will suffer what you and me deserve. And Jesus goes to the cross and he's murdered. But he doesn't just physically die. He actually absorbs the Father's wrath for sin. And then he raises from the dead to prove that the Father's wrath has been satisfied. And anyone who will put their faith in him and believe that he's done that owes God nothing for their sin because it's been paid for by Jesus. That's the gospel. Think about this. I, I know it was a big, long thing, and a lot of you already knew it. The gospel's a gift. Think about that for a second. Everything that I just said is a gift. We deserve hell. God would actually, and still would be, perfectly just to just damn all of us. To just say, yeah, you screwed up. My standard is perfection. You're not perfect. You've sinned against me. You deserve to go to hell, and I'm just going to let that happen. That's what we deserve, but he chose to show us mercy, right? He showed to give us grace. The definition of grace is unmerited favor, right? You didn't do anything, right? Consider this. Did anyone in here ask God to send Jesus? Nope, right? Because that would chronologically not make any sense, right? Just throwing that out there as a piece of logic, um, right? No one asked, Je or asked God to send Jesus. No one asked for anything like that because we're all at enmity with him by birth, Right? Again, grace. And then to emphasize his free gift of grace even more, God awakened our dead hearts to his own beauty with his Holy Spirit, and he drew us to himself. I'm talking to Christians right now. He drew us to himself, and he gave us the gift of faith. 
Right? So that we could believe the gospel and be saved. And he's still not done freely giving to us, right? He gives us his word. He gives us his promise that he's going to see us through until the day that we die and see him face to face. Right? By his power and his promise, we will be saved. He promises that. If you believe, I will save you. I will keep you. No matter how much you screw up, I will not abandon you. I love you. I paid for you on the cross. All of this is of grace. Everything was a gift. We didn't obligate God to do any of this. Keep that in mind. That's a huge part of what we're going to be talking about. I know this intro is super long, right? But we didn't obligate God for any of that. He did this before we knew him, before we desired him, before we even knew that we had sinned or done anything wrong, before we even knew anything. He did this. We did not and cannot obligate him to do anything. Keep that in mind. Obligation isn't grace, is what I'm getting at. Like, obligation is owed, right? Like, if Ryan does something at my house, I owe him, like, a favor, right? Obligation means wages, right? It's a transaction. It's a payment. That's not how God operates. You can't obligate him. But anyway, let's go ahead and hit this text. We're in Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 7 through 10, and we're going to see a lot of these ideas played out again. Just so you know, if you're new here, uh, you'll see blue Bibles in the back of the pews. Take one of those home. Uh, it doesn't have all the these and thous that the King James has. It's pretty easy to read. Um, I recommend it. Um, if you don't have a Bible or the Bible you have is hard to understand, take that home, but it's going to be up here on the projector, so you don't got to try to read it out there. Um, but starting in verse 7 of chapter 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me? No. He says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, We are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. All right, so think about it this way. I know that seems kind of like spacey and like, what's he talking about? Think about it this way. Here's basically, this is a really, really imperfect example. Let's say you own a McDonald's, right? And I know this might be a little bit too real for Corey Reed in the back because he slaved there for years. Um, right, let's say, uh, I didn't know if the thing came over or not. I had a pretty funny meme. <laughs> that made me laugh when I saw it. I was looking for one that said, I'm Mick hating it because I think putting Mick in front of anything is like the funniest thing in the world. Um, I've McFallen, if you've seen that video on the internet. Anyway, um, so let's say you own a McDonald's, right? And one of your employees' jobs is to cook food, clean the bathrooms, and sweep the lot. Right? You follow me so far? Cook food, clean restrooms, sweep the lot. If the employee decides that he wants to leave after cooking and cleaning the restroom, not sweeping the lot yet, will you let him leave? No way. No way would you let your employee leave without doing his job, right? Furthermore, if the employee does all three of the jobs that he's supposed to get done in a day, do you owe that employee anything more than his pay? No. You don't owe him anything extra. You don't even really technically owe him a thank you for anything, right? You don't owe him anything more than what he's earned. Again, we don't earn things from God. I want to make that clear. This is an an imperfect example, Um, So the reason why I said that is I want to get this through. 
the dude does his job. You don't owe him anything as his employer. And if he's not done his job, you're not going to let him go home yet. Right? In the same way, the slave in this parable, this is what Jesus is really driving home. By doing what he is told to do, the slave does not obligate the master in any way. At all. Right? The slave doesn't deserve anything from the master, really. He's just doing his job. And Jesus says, in that same way, we have to have that same exact mentality as we walk in obedience to Jesus. Right? He says, we have to keep this mindset that we are unworthy servants. Which means this, I don't deserve anything for my obedience. Right? I've merely done what I'm supposed to do as a disciple of Jesus. Right? And what that really is, and this is really cool for me to figure out, like that's true humility. Right? That's what Jesus is painting a picture of. Unworthy servants, that's true humility before Jesus. It's really understanding who Jesus is and who we are. Right? I'm just a servant. This is just what I do. I just obey you because you deserve to be obeyed. Right? Jesus says he is the master and we're the slaves. So check this. This is super unpopular. You probably won't hear this said in a lot of churches. Jesus doesn't owe you anything. Think about it. Well, he owes you, one. He owes you hell. I mean, let's <laughs> just call it what it is. He owes you damnation. That's it. He doesn't owe you anything else. But don't forget this either. He gives us salvation and forgiveness by unmerited favor. So it's not that he doesn't give us anything. It's he doesn't owe us anything. But what we do get, we don't earn. We receive it by his unmerited favor, by his grace alone. But he doesn't owe it. right? Our obedience to his commands are all in response to the unmerited grace that he gives. All right, so think about this. Like, I like kind of logical, flowing arguments. This really made sense to me. Um, like, how does that work out? Um, Jesus tells us that our obedience must flow from love for him. Right? John 14, 15, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, If you love me, you'll obey me. Right? It's what Jesus is saying. So all of our obedience is supposed to flow from love for Jesus. Jesus also says, they ask him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what's the biggest one? He says, love God. First thing he says. Right? Love your neighbors as well. But he says, love God. First thing he says, obedience must flow from love. The greatest commandment to sum up all other commandments is love God. So if our obedience is not from an overflow of love for God because of his grace given to us, then the obedience tr- doesn't truly obey God. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in for a second. I know it's kind of matrixy, right? kind of spacey. Um, I'll say that one more time. If obedience doesn't come from an overflow of love for God because of grace given to us, then the obedience isn't real obedience. Because the first and primary command is love God. I hope you're tracking with me. If not, come see me after the service. All right, so if it's not done, if our obedience isn't done for the love of God, which is really funny to put it in that kind of a thing, because usually you don't, for the love of God, help me out. It's usually how you hear it said. But if our obedience isn't done for the love of God, then really... What our obedience is, is us trying to make him owe us something. Think about that. We're going we're gonna to really dig into that. And that's not real obedience. That's not God honoring. Right? But let's just call it what it is. We don't like this Jesus. <laughs> like, like knee-jerk reaction, we don't like the master Jesus. We like the savior Jesus. We like the forgiving Jesus. We don't like the Jesus that asks us to do crap. Like we don't like that at all. We don't like the master Jesus who asserts his authority and reminds us all that he is indebted to no one. Right? We don't like that. We like hippie Jesus. Like I said, we like codependent wush Jesus. Um, and I'll tell you why I think that we don't like the Lord, the master of all things Jesus. We don't like that Jesus because we can't get him under our thumb. You can't. 
Like, you can't twist his arm, right? Like, you can't get him to do what you want. What we want is a God, and I'm lowercase g in my notes. What we want is a God that we can coerce and obligate to do our will. That's really what we want because we're selfish and we're sinners, right? And that was actually the same thing, um, the same kind of lowercase God that the Pharisees wanted, right? And these Pharisees, just so you guys know, um, I know not everyone grew up in church. Uh, Pharisees are these super religious, they're jerks, man. Like, I don't know what else to, to, to call it. There's a bunch of punks. Um, and they were really, really religious, um, dressed the right way, um, said the right things. They would pray really loud in public and pray these super long prayers and like tithe every little tiny thing that they had, 10%. Um, but they were also opponents of Jesus, and Jesus says, if you don't know me, then you don't know the Father, which means you don't know God at all. And they hated Jesus. They actually are the people responsible for the murder of Jesus. Hated him. Um, again, super religious, though. On the outside, it seemed like they did everything right. They were very, very obedient on the outside. I, I want you to get that. You look at these guys. Like, these are the people that, like, they've never had sex with anyone before they were married. Like, they've never looked at porn. They probably, like, they wouldn't say crap if they had a mouthful of it. Like, like they were, like, like just... Think like 95-year-old grandma. Like she's never done anything wrong that you know of. Like dad is a Pharisee. Um, But it wasn't true obedience from love. That wasn't the Pharisees at all. What they were trying to do is they were trying to twist the arm of God. Right? Um, Again, they're trying to obligate God with their obedience to do their will. Because they don't really love him. Um, And the Pharisees were probably, I can't say this with, with complete Uh, definite assurance. The Pharisees were probably present for this teaching that Jesus just gave us about obeying him like servants. They were probably there. And if they weren't there, the Pharisees were like the most influential group of Jews in Israel at the time. So like their ideas were present, right? That you'd be really obedient and God will do what you want. Um, So these cats were in the, if I obey, God will save me or do what I want camp, right? That's that's where their mentality is. Um, That's what we refer to as salvation by works, Right? If I do this, God will, in turn, do something for me. Uh, but let's break that kind of obedience down. Um, it's not humble. <laughs> right? Like Jesus says, whenever you obey me, count yourself an unworthy servant that's just doing what he's supposed to do. The kind of obedience the Pharisees had, trying to obligate God, has no unworthy servant mindset. It's, I'm going to get you. Right? It's false obedience, right? Obedience um, that's trying to make God obey them. So they're... Consider this, they're, they're rejecting God's authority and how he does things. And they're trying to pigeonhole him to their will. Prime example is they reject Jesus for salvation. They say, you can't save anyone. You're not God, right? No matter how many miracles he did or how many people he raised from the dead, they just kept rejecting. No matter how many times that they couldn't reply back to the things that he would say to them and trip them up uh, as they were trying to trip him up. No matter how many times they looked dumb, they kept rejecting Jesus. So what were they trying to do with their obedience? Save themselves. So God says, no, here's how I'm going to operate. I'm going to save you through Jesus. And they say, no, I'm just going to obey you way more. And then you're going to have to save me on my terms. You're going to have to do what I want you to do. Um, And that's not worship of God. That is self-worship. That's really what that is. It's it's your will. It's your rules. It's your way. That's self-worship. That is not for the love of God. That's for the love of self. It's not real obedience. And I say that because it's not from a changed heart. It's not from a heart that loves God. And I'll say this, only receiving grace by faith in Jesus can change our hearts. Right? And I don't just say that as like a, oh, that feels good. Like, that tickles my believies. I don't mean it like that. Um, But I say that because only being given love freely, 
causes us to love in return. Think about that. Grace means unmerited favor. Only the grace of the gospel, whenever it becomes real and we believe it, will change our hearts because only free love, not in a hippie way, but only free love causes us to love in return. Right? Earning something doesn't, resolve, doesn't result in love. It's wages. You earned it. Right? Like, I love my mom because she's my boss, but like, if she wasn't my mom, she's just my boss. She just gives me what I deserve. Right? I earned it from her. Um, but here's my question. Right? Rubber meets the road, kind of hurts a little bit. How often is this us? How often do we fit in with the Pharisees on this, where we obey God trying to get something from him, right? We, we don't say that kind of stuff out loud. Like, no one, like, no one will come up here and say that. Like, ah, I obey God, so give me a car and a hot spouse, right? Like, it's not, like, we're not very prone to that. But I would ask this. What are our motives for what we do? That's the real question. Why do we do what we do, right? Do we tithe expecting to get more back? Right? It's like the cosmic lottery. Like, if I give 10 bucks, God might throw me a hundred spot, right? Like, it's like a vending machine kind of casino. I don't know. It's just funny. Like, is that why you tithe? Right? I know a lot of people that think that, you know, if you give it out, it's like God is like karma. Like, that's not what the Bible says at all. It's like a Buddhist or Hindu thought, whatever. I'm not sure. Um, why am I talking about that? Right? Um, but like, do we tithe expecting to get something back? Um, do we read, and this is, gets real, do we read our Bibles, like, daily, right? Because I know some of you guys are pretty good about that. Do we read our Bibles because we think God will hear our prayers better and then give us a yes to whatever we're asking for, right? Do we abstain from sexual sin so God will give us a spouse? Or, you know, you, you don't cheat on your wife so, that, like, in return, God will make your marriage better? Which, don't get me wrong, not cheating on your wife will, like, your marriage will probably get, like, a whole lot better than if you do the opposite. But, like, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't walk in step with God's commands. That is not what I'm saying at all. We should absolutely be obedient. You should read your Bible. You should tithe if you have, like, income. Um, you should be open-handed with your resources. You should abstain from sexual sin. Um, but how often are we obeying God purely as a loving response to his gospel that's just been given to us. How often is that really our motives? Or do we expect a payback from God? Right? You know, and, and, and this idea of worshiping God, right? What I mean by worshiping is doing stuff. This idea of doing stuff for God to get a payback wasn't just a Pharisee thing. Right? You actually see this uh, basically in every religion. Like, legit, like, except for Christianity. Like, you see this in every religion. People are always obeying their false god so that it will love them. That's the one thing that makes Christianity completely unlike every other religion. Every other religion. Again, I said this last week. Islam, this really comes to mind because that's like the religion that like everyone hears about right now that no one really knows a whole lot. Um, Islam is, and you could pretty much substitute any false god for this. If you do all these things and you're really moral and you're a really good person and you don't mess up too much and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds by the time you die then God will love you and let you into heaven. Again, it's a whole lot of do X, God will give you heaven, right? That's pretty much every religion except for Christianity and atheistic religions like Buddhism, uh, but that's a whole other conversation. But pagans, right? Uh, people that worship uh, false gods, uh, multiple gods, right? Think like Greeks and Romans, right? The real fun stuff, like Hercules. Anyone watch those like Disney Channel Hercules things? Those were awesome. I don't care what anyone says. Love them. Um, I'm a child. Uh, anyway, it's like these pagan religions like Greeks and Romans, they were way more explicit 
about their like trying to do X so they can get Y. Like that was just the religion in and of itself, and they were really open about it. Right, so here's kind of what pagan worship looks like. I'm a history nerd. If you're not, I got a microphone and you don't deal with it. Right, so like in pagan religion, here, here's how it would work. You go to your God's temple, right? Whenever you get there, you would give some kind of sacrifice. Like I think Zeus was really into pigs, right? So you would like sacrifice uh, a, a pig or something like that. And then you would give your money, right? Just a little sidebar. I wasn't going to say this, but this is just really interesting. Like to give your money to the temple, a lot of the times there would be like temple prostitutes. So, like, you didn't just, like, give your money because you wanted to give it. Like, you give your money to the prostitute, sleep with her, and then she gives the money to the temple. Um, so, that, that's kind of, I thought that was interesting. Like, that's, that's how they would give money to the temple. Uh, we don't tithe like that here at Rev. Um, yeah, that'd get you in trouble. Um, sin. Um, so, they would give a sacrifice. They would go to the God's temple. They would give money. Um, they would sing some kind of songs to the God. Right? They would do things like that, really butter them up with their prayers, right? Like, oh, Zeus, you're so strong, and you, like, ate your kids. And, like, there's all, like, really weird stuff in mythology. Like, you're just so tough. Um, really butter up the God. And then they would ask something. Like, they would ask for something. That's, like, the high point, right? You do all this ritual stuff. You do all your sacrifice. Give your money. And then you get to ask for something, right? Whether it's... Some kind of favor, right? That your crops would come in and they would be huge or that this girl that you're really into would love you uh, or, or like your fortune would be good or like you'd be really rich or whatever. You'd ask them for something. Um, and all of this worship that you just did obligated the God to do what you wanted. That was the idea, right? And here's what's funny. If the pagan's God didn't comply with like the request, the pagan would just try another God, <laughs> Right? Like, all right, Aphrodite, you wouldn't help me out here. Maybe Zeus will. And if he won't, maybe Hermes. I don't know. We'll just keep going down the line of like 50 gods. We'll see what happens. Right? This proves that the worshiper in pagan religions, this all makes sense in a second, didn't love God. They were motivated by self-interest. They were lovers of self. Right? Um, And this sounds like, this sounds so much like Western Christianity. It's sickening. Right? Like, I know some of you probably saw where I was going with this. Like, this sounds so much like, like what a lot of Christians believe about God and believe about Christianity. Or people who aren't Christians believe about Christianity. It makes me sick. Right? Tell me, here are the parallels, right? You go to church. Right? You give your money. Again, not via prostitute, but you give your money. You sing songs to God. Right? We do that every week. And you give sacrifice. And here's what I mean by sacrifice. We're not slaughtering pigs. We're not that kind of church. Um... Your sacrifice in, in Western Christianity is your moral living. I don't do this. I, I, don't, I don't sleep around. I don't get drunk. I, I don't do drugs. I, I don't watch porn. I, I don't lie. I work a job. I pay my taxes. Uh, try to do what my parents tell me, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's my sacrifice to God. I'm very, very, very moral. And then you ask Jesus for something, Right? Like, there's your payoff, you gave your money, you came to church, you sang, you gave your sacrifice. And if Jesus doesn't comply, maybe you don't try a new God, right? Because that's, like, that's like kind of weird. You don't, like, just skip religions and, and try something else. But what we'll often do is take matters into our own hands, right? Like, God, I'd really like a promotion at work. Uh, it's me versus Tim. And uh, there's no one named Tim in my work, by the way. Uh, it's, me, it's, it's me versus Tim, and uh, it's not looking like you're going to help me, so I'm going to lie about Tim. And try to get him fired, right? Something like that. Like, we'll take matters into our own hands if Jesus doesn't seem like he's going to be clutch for us and give us what we've been asking for. 
Or if we don't want to take matters into our own hands, what I see pretty often um, is you'll just get really, really, really angry with Jesus. You asked him for it, right? You've done everything right. I came to church. I gave my time. I read my Bible. I didn't do all these things. I did all these other things. Jesus owes me now. That's the mentality. And if Jesus doesn't pay up, you're out. You'll leave. You're angry. Right? And sometimes it's good things that we ask for. Right? Like a job if you're unemployed or a house if you don't have anywhere to live or healing for yourself or healing for someone else. or God, I really don't want this person that I love to die. Right? I really want to find a spouse. We can ask for good things. And I'm not denying that they're good. But that's our whole motive. It's not because we love God. It's because I feel like you owe me. And if you don't pay up, I'm walking out. And yet here's Jesus in this parable that we just read, in this teaching. Here he stands reminding us that he owes us nothing. He says, I am the master. Again, Jesus is sovereign. He does as he pleases. He gives out gifts as he sees fit. Right? And ultimately... He always does everything for his glory and our good. Because when he's glorified, we benefit. So how could he ever owe us anything? That's the question. How can he ever owe me anything? Is it, is it not, and here's what got real to me, is it not enough that Jesus has promised us salvation by his work on the cross? Is that not enough? How arrogant can we be to think that he owes us more? He didn't owe us that. How can we, as Christians, say that we believe the gospel of grace given to us whenever all we deserve was hell and still feel like we can put Jesus into our debt? Think about this. Whenever we proclaim that we believe the gospel, what we're claiming is this. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe that I could not afford to pay. How does he owe us? Ever. We owe him. We owe him everything. Everything that we are. All of our desires should be submitted to him and in accordance with his will and what he wants. We've got, we got to get that. But I think like the crux of this whole thing is this. And this, this bashed me in the face Friday whenever I was really thinking about what, what I needed to say this evening. Um, this idea that, that you know, either we're going to save ourselves by being obedient like the Pharisees thought, or whether we have this pagan mentality that, you know, if I do all this stuff, God will owe me and, and give me. I, I want to pose this question to you. Do you really want to present your efforts Think about this. Do you really want to present your obedience to God as the basis for him doing something for you? Is that really what you want? Think about that. Do you really want to present what you've done to God and say, based off of what I've done, do something? No matter what it is, whether it's your salvation or something much less than that. And I say that because, think about this. If we present this, God, look at the five things that I've done for you this week. He can say, look at the 30 things you screwed up. And here's the thing. Even then, me and Ryan were talking about this before I got up here. Like, your five things that you did don't count. Because God says his standard is perfection. To sin ever deserves hell. So your five things don't count, right? 
you can like do a hundred quote good things. He's like, yeah, well, you messed up once, so those hundred things don't really count because I don't work that way. I demand perfection. I demand complete, perfect obedience, or you suffer hell. So we can't. We don't have anything to present to him at all, right? We sin every day, right? Just fun fact: if you're not new to church, any Christian that tells you he doesn't sin, read First John. Like the first chapter says, like if anyone says they have no sin, they're a liar and they don't know Jesus. Pretty black and white there. It's good stuff. Um, Christians sin every single day. I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm not condoning that. It's just true. Our sin is always going to outweigh our obedience, right? And on our own, we have nothing to present to God because of that. Isaiah tells us in, in the book Isaiah in the Old Testament, our righteousness is a filthy rag in the eyes of God. It's disgusting to him because it's not really righteousness because we screw up. We're sinners. So all that to say this, we don't want a transaction with God. We don't want to present him with our life and then say, now give me what I want. Give me what's owed to me. You don't want a transaction with God. Because transaction means wages. And the Bible tells us we're sinners and the wages of sin is death. That's hell. That's actually what our life is owed. But then right after the Bible says that, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. You want grace. I want grace. We don't want a transaction with God. We don't want to present our life to Him. We want something else. We want Him to give us unmerited favor because we cannot merit His favor because we're not perfect. And furthermore, isn't it better to trust the God who loves us? Again, proven on the cross whenever Jesus suffered our penalty for sin in our place. Don't we want the God who loves us to do as He sees fit? Don't we want him to give to us as he sees fit? He saw fit to give us Christ. It doesn't get better than that. Doesn't that make more sense? To, to let him be God and to let us be his servants like it's supposed to be? Doesn't it sound better to just trust his promise of grace through faith in Jesus instead of trying to present our obedience to him as the basis for his favor? Doesn't that sound like a way better deal? Grace is always better than what we've earned. Grace is always better because on our most obedient, best day, there is still some sin somewhere in us that we've not dealt with. Always. You know, we, we, I'm convinced of this. We, we only think that God owes us when we lose sight of our own sinfulness. We only feel like God owes us whenever we don't remember that we're sinners. But the beauty of the gospel is that God, in spite of our sinfulness... Not out of obligation to us, but from just raw love for us, gave us Jesus for our right standing with him. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel. That's why his thing is good news. And and just furthermore, everything else that we have has been given to us by grace alone, because all we deserve is hell. So every other good thing that we have has just been given, just gift upon gift upon gift from God. So surely then, knowing that, surely... That stirs up some affection in us towards God. That he would love us so greatly first. Right? Surely that would, that, would, that would give us love that, that causes us to serve him like the slave in the parable. Not looking for a payback because there is no payback for it. But because of love for him. Because he first loved us so greatly. And that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. I, I, I genuinely have been praying this all week and I pray this regularly. I pray that we would keep our own sinfulness in our minds daily. 
I'm not saying that to, I don't don't want you to to beat yourself up with the things that you've done in the past because God knows I've done awful, awful things in the past. I'm not telling you to beat yourself up with that kind of stuff. Remember your own sinfulness, but then let that truth be eclipsed by God's love for you. But never forget that you're a sinner. The Bible actually, or not the Bible, this is Martin Luther, a great preacher of the Bible, uh, says that we are simultaneously right with God and still sinners, right? Like we screw up daily. Like this is a great thing to remember. Simultaneously justified, which means made clean in God's eyes, and I still screw up. Keep that in your mind. Because only whenever we have that in our mind are we going to serve God in love, period. Because whenever we don't remember that, we don't remember that he had to love us when we didn't deserve it. Only whenever we consider ourselves unworthy servants just doing our duty, Only whenever we love him will we consider ourselves that way. And only whenever we serve God that way are we actually obeying God. Because everything has to be saturated with love. And I want to share a passage with you real quick. I think it's very fitting to end on. Uh, Romans is my favorite book in the Bible. Surprise, surprise for some of you who know my theological leanings. Romans is awesome. Uh, Chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. This is legit. All the Bible is legit. This is awesome. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Fun fact for you, we are part of the everything that exists that is intended for his glory. We're part of that. That's actually what we were created to do, is to worship him, because he's worth it, because he is the epitome of love. And again, we've never given him anything that he needs to pay us back for. So keep that in mind, and go do what you were created to do. That's the big thing to take from this. Go do what you were created to do. Go and serve him for his glory and his glory alone as an unworthy servant who has been shown indescribable love from a gracious master. Let's pray. Father, you're you're so much better to us than we deserve. Father, please break us with the truth of the gospel. Help us to remember that we're sinners. Help us to remember that that you loved us in spite of our sin, that you don't owe us anything, but that you give us everything through faith in Jesus. Everything that truly matters anyway. I pray that our obedience would be pure. That we would really understand our wretchedness and our unworthiness. But then understand even more that you love us in spite of that. God, let that be the jumping off point. Let that be where the love for you overflows from us so that we would obey you more. Holy Spirit, empower us to do these things. Empower us for obedience. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.